Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. My guest today is something of a grand architect as well as executor of awe-inspiring feats of athletic endurance. In 2020, they completed the Grand Round, a challenge of their own devices, which involved consecutively running the three best-known fell running rounds, the Paddy Buckley in Wales, the Bob Graham in England, and the Ramsey in Scotland, and getting between them by cycling. This equates to a running distance of about 185 miles, 25,440 metres of elevation gain, as well as over 400 miles of cycling. They are the 15th ever finisher of the infamous Barclay Marathons, one of, if not the toughest races on earth, are the current record holder of the Lake District's 320-mile, 214-peak Wainwrights round, as well as the fastest known time on the 268-mile Pennine Way. Not only this, but they have finished many other of the toughest races, including the Leverado Ultra Trail, the Tour de Guillant, and the Spine Race, which they won in January 2020. It is arguably not so much these accolades that most distinguish them, however, as their values and attitude towards both life and running. And after that pretty epic introduction, I'll now allow them to also introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing. Thanks very much. Uh, so it's, it's good to get to chat with you and uh, discuss some of these these adventures a bit more. So thank you and looking forward to it. Yeah, welcome, John Kelly. Um, first of all, John, um, I sort of, I think, probably describe you as something of a polymath. And I was quite keen that that kind of shows through, through the interview. Um, so what I've done is to kind of look back at some of your own writing, which I think is is beautiful um, and really compelling. So if, if it's not already in the pipeline, I'd suggest like a book will be on the cards at some point. <laughs> um, but first of all, talk me through. So on your own website, um, blog, and also your, your Instagram name, you go by Random Forest Runner. And I'd be interested uh, for you to explain in your own words, like where that comes from. So that was actually uh, the idea of one of my my colleagues at work. I've been in the the startup business for I guess about seven years now, a uh, bit over that actually. And uh, one of my partners there is uh, he, he has the the more business mind of things and and comes up with these these creative bits like this. And so he thought to pair uh, random forest, which is an algorithm 
I've used uh, quite often in my work. It's a, a machine learning algorithm used in, in data science uh, with what I, I do for for running. <laughs> Obviously, kind of enjoy literally running through random forests, <laughs> and so it's it's a play on words between those two pieces that, that make up a, a huge part of, of what I do. Thank you. I won't delve too far into the machine learning aspect of things, so I will <laughs> leave that to you in terms of your expertise. But I, I like that there's that kind of synergy between the two, because I know that in your own running, you sort of apply some of those principles, and we might get to that um, a little bit later. But I first want to take you back to 2017 and the Barclays round three and one of the things that I enjoyed that you wrote about this was suddenly everything that I kept so focused and tightly bundled up for the previous 13 hours was released physically mentally emotionally everything just gave out at once and I collapsed into a chair my mind was free and could finally think about something other than staying awake I had finished Barclay the white whale was dead so can you just talk us through what was going through your mind then well I had just about an I suppose an hour or so before that I was hour and a half maybe I was I'd reached the final peak of Barclay and you know that's kind of the point at which you you think you've made it of all I had was a nice runnable trail downhill to the finish I had plenty of time left and uh ended up kind of 20 minutes just disappeared mm-hmm. I still don't know what happened I guess I maybe caught a quick nap uh <laughs> Or, or something. Uh, I just remember looking at my watch and uh, it being 20 minutes later than when I had looked at my watch only seconds earlier w- when I reached the peak and, and got my final page. So uh, at that point, it, it was just this immense amount of focus reminding myself that I, I was still doing this. I still had work to do. I still had to stay awake and actually get to that that finish line at, at the yellow gate and so my mind just at that point only had the bandwidth to to really think about one thing at a time and so that was that was the thing was that just all my focus directed on staying awake staying on my feet getting to the finish and and as soon as i touched that i was able to actually kind of release that and, and think about something uh, a bit more than that let my my mind and, and body relax for uh, the, the first time uh, in, in, in quite a while uh, definitely uh, probably for I'd say the, the previous 24 hours uh, at least uh, since I had been able to actually uh, think about a little bit more than just taking the next step forward that must have been an incredible release and on reflection you write completing this race was about more than learning my own limits it was about inspiring and motivating others to find theirs and to never give up in trying to push them further so what did that mean to you in this particular challenge well i think that's that's kind of the first point at which you know it really hit me how unlikely uh that finish would have seemed 
definitely to anyone else uh, and also even to myself just a few years earlier. And, you know, when I started running again, I, I had no, I would have thought anyone was insane if they had thought I would attempt much less complete something like that. And so it is this idea of, you know, I, I, I don't like the saying you can do anything that you set your mind to because, because we, I mean, we physically can't, I will never dunk a basketball. I'm sorry. No matter how much I will myself to jump that high, I, I will, I am physically incapable of jump, dunking a basketball, but we can do so much more in anything than, than we think we can. Our limits are well beyond uh, what we can imagine they are. And, and, and until we actually start pushing them and probing them and seeing what we can do, we, we have no idea what they are. And so I, I had started doing that with running and I was uh, as surprised as anyone at being able to do those things. And so anything that, that someone is passionate about, anything that someone wants to explore and, and really see what they're capable of, uh, it's uh, a, a great adventure uh, to go down that path and, and see what's possible and, and learn the lessons along the way. Do you think, are you still surprised at yourself with where your limits are? Have you even found them yet, do you think? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's always still surprising when kind of putting myself back in the shoes of, you know, where I was a decade ago or any time when I was just getting started on this. Uh, and yeah, I would say that I, I have continued, uh, to, to do, I'll, I'll say different things that then I would have thought I was capable of. Uh, when I finished Barkley, I, probably wouldn't have thought I, I could do something like run the Penine Way in, in 58 hours. Uh, but I, I'll, I guess what changed mostly is maybe I'm still surprised at some of the specific things that, that I've, I've done and I'll say pushing my limits in, in other and in, in different ways. But there is less surprise at being surprised, if that makes sense. It's just this kind of change in mindset of not counting yourself out. And I was having this discussion with my coach, uh, David Roach, a, a couple of weeks ago in terms of pacing early on in a race. And it's kind of I start out one of these things. And if anyone asks me, do you feel like you can hold this pace for the whole race? My answer is going to be no. But <laughs> but watch me because um, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I'm going to do it or you're, you're going to have to peel me off the ground one of the two. And it's just this change in mindset of uh, going for something, even if you previously might not have thought it possible. Yeah. And you write, you write on, on that bit about the box as well. Is it the pursuit of goals or the achievement of them that is most rewarding? And I guess that kind of ties in a bit with what you've just said is that the kind of the pursuit of something is what drives you rather than necessarily the, the end of that goal. Yeah. And don't, 
don't get me wrong, there's there's immense satisfaction and, and personal reward in, in actually achieving that goal. But I also think that if the focus is just on a singular goal, then there's, of course, the risk of falling short and coming away thinking as if nothing has been accomplished. And that's that's never the case. I've I've always taken the aim of kind of uh, shooting for things that that are beyond. I, I come up short, then I've I've pushed myself as far as I possibly can, and, and that's kind of one of the the premises of of Barclay to begin with. Uh, the race director Baez has said a number of times that the people that uh, don't get their reward are, are the people that finish because they're the ones who haven't found their limit. And so I've, I've come up short on most everything I've tried uh, once or twice at, at least before getting it done. And in those failures, I've, I've learned a, a great deal and taken an immense uh, amount of both reward and uh, learning away from that that has allowed me to propel myself uh, both in future attempts and in, in other areas of life as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And do you think so after after that uh, Barclay success and in inverted commas because of what you, what you've just said about lads that you haven't found your limits, so you haven't sort of succeeded in a way. You then did the the Berlin Marathon. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that you wrote about this personal challenges and growth are important and competition can be a great way of spurring that growth and measuring it but a huge factor in determining what those challenges look like should be joy Um, and I'm interested to know kind of what why you decided to do the marathon at that point and kind of off the back of what you were saying about sort of an almost unsatisfactory <laughs> result at Barclay and not finding your limits, you then did something completely different. Yeah, uh, Berlin was a, a couple of years after uh, mm-hmm. uh, Barclay. So that was after I had just moved to the UK and was kind of trying to take the opportunity to, uh, my, my first year there, I, I went a bit, too heavy into trying to take advantage of all the new races that were more easily uh, accessible to me, uh, geographically speaking. And so that one was right after uh, Tour de Jean, and it was just, it it was great to be able to go out there and and just run for fun. Uh, I didn't have any specific goals in the race, I didn't have any specific time in mind. Uh, I was running pretty relaxed and just kind of gradually picked it up o- over the last five or six miles and, and finished strong and, and finished uh, enjoying it. And it's, you know, when I said earlier that I think that we can all achieve more than we think is possible in any area, I, I guess the uh, the disclaimer to put on that would be only if it's something that, that we enjoy or that we're truly passionate about. Uh, otherwise, we, we don't have the sort of intrinsic motivation to push through some of the obstacles and, and some of the uh, challenges that will inevitably come uh, along the way. And so for me, in terms of pushing myself and exploring my limits and, and what I can do, uh, running and specifically uh 
mountain running is uh, a a great medium to, to do that. For others, it, it might be something entirely different. Uh, but the the outcome and, and the process should still look quite similar. And I guess that's the thing that we can be that as runners, we can get caught up in those those numbers, those results, and actually a reminder of of the why <laughs> we're doing it um for the joy of the the movement and what it brings us is is really is really valuable um and i guess i think right. that's something that last says as well isn't it about kind of the those who were those who know what you did know that you did it <laughs> it isn't really about about the outcome and what people's perceptions are so much yeah uh and and that's that's very much true in, in terms of you know i think that especially with non ultra runners if if any of these things ever come up it's it's kind of oh you you ran fifty k or you ran fifty miles or you ran for five days it's all once you get past a certain threshold it's just it's it's far it all falls in this bucket of, oh, you ran really far. Uh, and it's, it's kind of all the same. So having that sense of uh, internal uh, achievement and, and knowing what you did and those around you uh, knowing what you did, again, is, is the most important thing um, rather than some big extrinsic uh, widespread social media accolades or or anything like that but just touching back on the doing this with joy and and doing what we enjoy uh, that's that's another thing that i always look at when i pursue these these big goals and knowing that uh, if i come up short at, at worst i've I've had some great time out in, in the mountains getting to, to do this type of thing and enjoy my, my time out there and, and appreciate uh, getting to do that. Although that then quite neatly brings me to the 2020 spine when you write, honestly, there was no joy for me at all in that portion of the race. It was the longest seven miles of my life and I just wanted it to be over and to get off my feet. <laughs> yeah, that, that was rough. Uh, so that was the very last stretch of the spine. Uh, I had been racing from the outset of that one. It was my strategy from the get-go to, to push the pace and to, to race from the front. And I'd done that, and it took, uh, I mean, not just the physical demands, but there was a, a huge amount of, of mental uh, focus and, and energy and motivation that that required. Uh, and I made it to the final kind of checkpoint uh, in in a hut at the uh, near the, the Shivia, uh, just before you def- descend to the finish. And that is when they told me that my uh, closest pursuer, uh, J- Jason Cavill, had, had dropped uh, back at uh, the, the previous checkpoint. And I, I had, had no idea of that all night long. I had been going through the Shivia Hills thinking that he was right on my heels. And they told me that he had dropped uh, this was after uh, Eugenie uh, had had dropped, 
uh, and the the people pursuing me had had dwindled to the point that I, I had I think a twelve hour lead at that point. So my mental focus and motivation was just gone, uh, and I had nothing left but a nighttime slog uh, down to the finish. Uh, everything that I had mentally been able to kind of push aside as far as how I was feeling, uh, parts of my body that, that were hurting, a, a sprained ankle, uh, sleep deprivation, everything else just immediately surfaced because uh, I, I no longer had that big mental uh, motivation to, to keep going. And it was just, it was a slog. It was rough. <laughs> And was the release when you when you kissed the wall at the end of that was that similar to to the end of the Barclay or was it even more of a relief? Would you say? Yeah, I would think relief is definitely the proper proper word on that one. The, yeah, that I could finally uh, said I, I could finally get off my feet and and off that that bum ankle and I uh, get a bit of rest and, and warm up as the the conditions of the spine is. Uh, obviously notorious for uh being up uh to the the scottish borders in early january uh you're you're guaranteed to have some unpleasant uh (laughs) conditions during that time span so i spent most of the previous days being wet and cold and battered by wind and it's just uh, a relief to be able to to sit down and get inside and warm up (laughs) <laughs> is that why so when you when you write about the grand round um in 2020 um you then say relatively speaking it turned out to not be all that horrible is that relative to, <laughs> to that experience on the spine do you think <laughs> uh so i i would are you speaking the the first grand round attempt or, or the second the one? second one okay yeah so the the, the second one um I know yeah, the that, first that was one was 2020. Much fun um, <laughs> sure, I'm getting my my years mixed up in my own head. Uh, yeah, at that point in time, uh, between my first grand round attempt and between the spine and uh, other uh, adventures out in the British mountains, I, I kind of learned to reset my my expectations for what a week of uh, British mountain weather might look like. And up until the end, it, it, it wasn't that bad. The, the very last round, uh, the Ramsey round in, in Scotland, about a third of the way into it, we got nailed by a, a named windstorm. And that's what really pushed me over the edge and, and broke me. Uh, I, I just, I crumbled at that point. Uh, other than that, uh, things had you know, they'd been rough. We had had some rain and we had had some wind, but but relative to what I knew could happen, uh, it it hadn't been all that bad. It it had been, uh, what I would say is a a good experience. You almost uh, like when I did the Wainwrights uh, this year, we had one stretch of bad weather, and I looked back at the end of it, and I, I thought, well. If I'd done five days in the Lake District without any bad weather, I, I kind of, I kind of feel like it, that that would have been cheating, and I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten 
got the full experience if it had just been nice and pleasant the whole time. <laughs> There's no rain and bogs, then it's not running in England, is it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you talk about with with that successful attempt at the grand round, the fact that um that the previous goal had maybe been out of reach and that you kind of reflected and reassessed um and then that you set a new goal that was within sight that was just out of reach but within sight right within the zone that you target um I'm interested in that zone (laughs) yeah so uh, I guess I I wrote a blog post uh, I called the Goldilocks difficulty uh, on that and Mm -hmm. this this goes back to some of my my work in in grad school with with dealing with uh, kind of game theory and, and this range where if, if something's too difficult then people just give up and, and quit uh, and if something isn't difficult enough then they have no motivation no no desire they see no point in doing it so why even bother and so the things that really force us to learn and improve and grow are, are the things that are are difficult but still achievable and so the first time that I did the grand round, I, I went into it with uh, a time goal that was, uh, I think, a bit uh, ambitious, particularly in terms of the uh, the lack of sleep uh, that I would take on during that time. It, it's one thing to to have a lack of sleep when you're out running. Uh, the difficulty with with the grand round is is. The, the cycling portions and so that first attempt when I got on my bike and started to head up to uh, Scotland on what I knew would be uh, narrow uh, roads with uh, heavy traffic and trucks and, and everything else it just uh, at that level of sleep it it wasn't it wasn't safe I wasn't okay mm-hmm. with that uh, so that's where I did go back and uh, kind of reflect and, and update that goal to, to what I thought was uh, a better target for me. And that's, again, where I think it's it's important for everyone to be able to to, to customize the, their goals for, for what is it that, that really uh, motivates them and, and forces them to push themselves uh, while still being something that's that's actually obtainable. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That um, and I, did, I I read your stuff about um the Goldilocks complex as well, and I think it's something that we can really apply to all areas of of our life. We need that push, but also need it to be be somewhere within within our reach in order to move forwards. And, you and, and just just to, to give some context on that, my my first attempt at the grand round, the goal I had laid out for myself was a hundred hours. Uh, inclusive of all three rounds and the cycling between, uh, I I changed that goal to 120 hours, which gave me a nice even 24 hours for each segment, the three rounds and the two cycling segments, uh, and I was on pace for that goal uh, and until that that named one storm hit about <laughs> seven hours into my final round, and like I said, that that just absolutely crushed me and I ended up uh, finishing in I think 132 hours. And did you still deem that as success? Yeah uh, definitely so I mean 
it would have been nice to get the 120, of course, but uh, looking back on on things, you you always have to consider the the conditions you encountered, and that's not all the conditions are something that you can anticipate in the planning and in the initial goal setting phase. But looking back on that and, you know, seeing the windstorm and the other conditions I encountered, I, I very much uh, consider that a success. I, I do think that uh, 120 is, is possible uh, if I have the, the right week uh, myself physically and I have the right conditions. But uh, the the weather on the Ramsey round was was definitely far from the right conditions to be able to do that. And being able to take on those unforeseen obstacles uh, and and adapt to those, uh, to me, that's that's part of the fun of ultra running and part of the most satisfying part, uh, even if the end result doesn't exactly look like what we originally envisioned. And you also talk um, about when when you're writing about the Grand Round, this idea that actually um, usually running doesn't make sense, <laughs> that we're not doing it um, for a particular cause or because anything is chasing us or we're overcoming like obstacles that are, you know, like climate change or political corruption, but that they're problems that require us each to be our best and I was wondering if you could just reflect on that idea of being how running makes you into your best and actually this kind of links to a measure of how we what we deem successful as well I guess yeah it's you know we're very fortunate for most of us to be living in, in a situation where we are not constantly facing uh, life-threatening dangers, where we're not getting chased by animals, uh, where we're not at war, we're not dealing with these other things that uh, throughout all of history across pretty much all species have been the driving forces for continual improvement and adaptation. And so doing something like running where I'm essentially forcing myself to explore my outer limits uh, is is quite valuable uh, to me. That That's something that does uh, put me in, in those situations where I have to see what I'm capable of. I have to adapt and improve to, to get around them. Uh, but at the end of the day, if, if I come up short, you know, the, the result isn't death. It's, uh, you know, I, I live, I had a great day out in the mountains. I, I come back stronger uh, the next time around. And those sorts of things, those sorts of lessons, I, I do feel are, are quite valuable in, in other areas of life. It's forced me to see what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are. Uh, how I can leverage the former, uh, how I can uh, mitigate the, the latter. And that has uh, applied to my, my work in, in startups as, as a parent, uh, as uh, pretty much anything else that are the things that I would say really matter in life. Uh, whereas finishing Barkley, uh, the grand round, anything else I've done at the end of the day, you know, I just... I ran around the mountains for a few days. I didn't really 
accomplish or, or achieve anything uh, of great note or of great impact uh, by doing that. And it's interesting that then I don't, I can't remember whether the grand round came before the birth of your daughter, which was also in September the 30th, 2020, where you talk about that hopefully get our daughter started on a lifetime of adventure. That's the only thing on the schedule I care about. The rest will come later as we see how things fall into place and fit together. Yeah, so that that was uh, part of uh, the, well, a big part of the scheduling for the Grand Round, actually. I uh, I had it just a month after my first go at the Pennine Way, uh, which was forced largely because on the front end of that, we, we had COVID and all of the lockdowns and everything else uh, involved with that. And then on the back end of that, I, I had the uh, expected birth of our daughter. And so I, I had a very narrow time window to try to fit both of those things in. And so the grand round was just before, uh, about a month before uh, the, the birth of our daughter. And that, and as we were saying, the kind of the, the carryover from, from the challenges that you face in, in running can then be applicable to to family life and I know that your family is is really important to you um and I'm wondering how you kind of get that balance um between between being a being a dad <laughs> and being um and being an amazing runner um and and work as well with all of that in the mix <laughs> yeah it's it's um it's important not only for my own self-improvement but I, I hope showing my kids especially now as they're a bit older and and can see or even be involved more in some of these things. They were, they were out uh, cheering for me at various points on my last day of the Wainwrights this year, uh, that they get this sense of, of pursuing big things and and whatever their, their passion might be. Again, not necessarily running, uh, but not being able, afraid to, to take on these, these big goals and, uh, see what they're capable of. The other side of this, of course, is, as you, you mentioned, balancing that. Everything's a, a bit of a, a trade-off. And for me, it's always been trying to find those points of, of diminishing returns. You know, I'm going out and doing some of these things might set a great example. It might allow me to improve as a father, but it is also taking time away uh, that that I could otherwise just just be with my kids, and so uh, there's there's kind of a I feel a break even point between those, and it's a matter of identifying where that is, and it's also a matter of just uh, learning to uh, be be efficient uh, and and cut out all the other noise in life, uh, you know, eliminating uh, some of the the small day to day distractions. Uh, all of the other things uh, or hobbies or um, uh, I guess leisurely activities that people otherwise might do. I, I just have my, my family and my job and, and running. Uh, and, you know, I, there are times I wish I could train like someone like Jim Walmsley or, or Killian or Francois and 
dedicate and center my, my have the time to center my life around that, getting the, the mileage in, the cross training in, the sleep in, uh, that that in itself would be great. Um, but again, there's there's a, a, a break even point somewhere. And so I fit in what I can around my family life and around my job. Uh, and that uh, involves a, a lot of multitasking, a lot of doing my run uh, as a commute or as somewhere else that, that I need to be. Uh, and, it, you know, as an example, my son has a soccer game tonight and I'll, I'll probably uh, run to the soccer game uh, rather than drive. And that's just uh, knocking out two things at, at once there and instead of uh, allowing time to be spent in a car uh, getting there. Talking of Jim Walmsley and Killian as well, which would you choose between Walmsley's zip down that he wore at UTMB and Killian's spandex white shorts he wore a couple of years ago? I know David Roach has a few few opinions on this too. Yeah, well, it's you know I think that wearing white spandex shorts in any endurance event is is always a, a bit of a a gamble. Uh, so you know that was a a bold move for him that that I think uh, paid off a power move maybe. So. <laughs> I think they've got that, and I think that that you on on a on a bike um, in the sort of interim transitions on the grand round is definitely a vibe as well. So I think the <laughs> the Kelly bike look is also <laughs> is also a thing. Um, just thinking also about your. Um, the the schedule that you have as well um last year came Pennine Way take two was that kind of always going to be on on the list of um obviously there has been a bit of a spat with you and Damien Hall in in trading off the uh the FKT on the Pennine Way was that was that always going to be on the checklist before leaving the UK as far as having a second attempt at it yeah yeah so i've and and i've i've discussed this many times with 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 damien as as well if if he had not had taken the the, the record uh i likely still would have done it again uh, i i wasn't content with with my performance on the first one i knew that there were big improvements that that i could make and with the Penine Way being the Penine Way, one of these premier routes, I, I wanted to be sure that I gave it my what I felt was was my best effort and left uh, one of my my best results that I could on it. It deserved it. Uh, future people who want to attempt throughout deserved that to to have that benchmark of of here's about the best that I could do. So I, I would have returned, uh, even if Damien hadn't have, have taken the record, but him taking it, and especially with the time he did, what, what that really did is it reset the bar for what we think is, is possible. And so if he hadn't have run that time, I probably wouldn't have had my goal uh, my my schedule that I laid out and my goal time that I had laid out, um, which was actually almost spot on what, what I ran, 
I, I wouldn't have been as ambitious and my end time probably wouldn't have been as low as, as what it was. So that's where, again, having this sort of uh, competitive aspect of that and, and being able to uh, push ourselves farther and, and as a community seeing what the best we can do uh, is, is important. And is that what you mean when you write any record like this as a collective achievement built on the efforts and imagination of the past, competition and support of the present, and the desire to leave a mark for the future? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's there's no way that that record would be what it is, or maybe even if it exists, if, if it wasn't uh, for Damien and, and Mike Hartley and, and the others that have come before to uh, set records on on the Penine Way and, and on other other challenges. All of these things have uh, a start uh, somewhere, and everything after that is is built upon it. And I'm interested because after so that was a successful attempt, which um, which now Damien has to. <laughs> has to wreak his own sweet revenge on which I quite enjoyed the pun in your in your blog post on that as well because <laughs> so I know that you're you're a sweet tea fan aren't you rather than an iced tea fan rather than the the traditional yeah, yeah well brand Damien always <laughs> makes a big deal about the ice but it's it's really the sweet part that's <laughs> that's the big differentiator <laughs> you can put sugar in the in the wet warm brown nope. stuff as well nope. That, that's not doesn't, okay. doesn't work you've got to put it in while it's brewing you've got to super saturate it <laughs> john kelly advice there super saturate your tea for the win <laughs> but after after that success on the penine way you then did have um a series of dnfs um so i'm quite interested in exploring that notion of a failure with you as well and it's something that I did I've spoken to to Damien about as well um and you quote um on your blog um actually something that Laz says um which is because when we do not achieve our objective where most people blame outside sources the nature of the endurance athlete the immediate reaction of successful people is to blame themselves this is why they are successful. There is no more important attribute for overcoming obstacles than to immediately ask, what did I do wrong? What can I do different? Um, so what what have you learned from, from DNFs, from failures, and what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, well, I, I think that's that's very much the, the biggest part of it is, is reflecting on on where I went wrong, uh, on what I could have done better. And, and that, that includes the, these unforeseen obstacles. You know, if I go into something and, uh, I get hit with, with bad conditions or something else happens, I end up with blisters on my feet or I end up with stomach problems. It's, it's not a matter of, oh, well, that's, that's why I, I failed. It's, it's a matter of, well, why did that happen? How could I have prevented that? And so uh, there have been quite a number of lessons I've had to learn uh, over the years in, in terms of improving uh, both, I'll just say, the, the normal aspects of, of ultra running, dealing with the uh, kind of concrete obstacles like blisters on the feet or uh, poor nutrition strategies or 
messing up navigation. Uh, these these are all lessons to be learned. They're skills that I've improved on. They're things that I can plan for better. But then also just the mental aspects of it, of you know, knowing how to push myself through the low spots, uh, knowing how to keep myself motivated and keep myself focused for something like the Wainwrights, where, you know, starting off on that, it, thinking of, oh, well, I have five days and this many peaks and this many miles left, it's, it's kind of incomprehensible. And if you hit a low spot and, and you're thinking about that as a whole, it's, it's, it's difficult. And so learning how to, to focus on the, the small achievable chunks that, that will eventually lead to the big goal uh, has, has been a, a huge lesson uh, learned through, throughout all of these challenges. And I think you do, you really do exemplify that because as you mentioned um, at the beginning of our conversation, like you are someone who comes back to things um, and and repeats them in order to to get the result um is that what pushes you you know that there is the potential to do it you've you've rallied and reflected on on the things from the previous experience and then apply them yeah uh in in most cases yes and in a few cases there there are just some you just come up short and there's really no lesson to be learned. Uh, things just happen and that, that stinks, but you know, that's, that's how it is. Uh, for the most part though, I, I've definitely learned lessons that have led to my, uh, success and, and farther attempts. And so there is always in these things uh, a risk element, an uncontrollable element where we don't necessarily know, no matter how much we've improved, no matter how much we've planned, we don't necessarily know that, that we're going to be successful. There are so many variables, so many other things that can happen. And that's that's really part of the fun of it. That's That's part of the fun of of all sports, if we knew the outcome beforehand, it would be boring. No, no one would care. Um, and and so it, it is very much a, about this this growth and about continually improving the odds of success, uh, while accepting that 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 risk of a failure is is still there. And is that what drew you back to Barclay again? This yeah did you feel there was something more to learn from the course because I think you reflect when on on your successful round when you're talking to Gary Robbins and you discuss whether if you finish will you ever do it again and the answer is no (laughs) um and yet you went back for another what is termed a fun a fun run (laughs) um I'm not necessarily sure about the fun in it um but what what drew you back yeah, so so this year at Barclay was very much one of those kind of just free things that that happened. That uh, I uh, I was going pretty well, and then I I lost. I had my pages uh, that, that proved that I've um, visited the, the the different checkpoints on course. I had those in a waist belt, and mm-hmm. about halfway through my third loop, I looked down, and my waist belt was gone. 
Uh, and so I, I spent the uh, next few hours kind of doing hill repeats on where I thought I had dropped it. I eventually found it, was able to finish that loop, but not really with a, enough time to continue on. Uh, so that was, that was rough. That's, you know, I, I guess I can uh, take that lesson and next time make sure that I, I have the, uh, a very, very secure uh, waste belt or, or attach, keep the pages stored uh, somewhere else more secure. Uh, but otherwise, the, the big difference between this one and, and previous attempts is, is that I, I I didn't have the, the pressure of, of finishing the, that I was placing on myself. Uh, I've finished before. I, I know what I'm capable of there, but it was uh, it was fun to be out there. I, I had I still had the motivation to finish uh, without that sort of overwhelming uh, sense of, of pressure and, and stress that, that can go along with it if you're focusing too much on the outcome rather than on the experience and on the process. And so to me, that's the um, that's kind of right at that, that spot where you want to be, where I've, I've overshot or undershot that uh, in other efforts in the past. And uh, it, it was fun. I, I truly enjoyed being out there. I enjoyed having a bit of a different role where I was, especially on the first loop, kind of the tour guide <laughs> of, of showing uh, other people around and, and the, where the course is and where some of the books are. Uh, so it was it was a great experience and, and one that I just came up short because of uh, something entirely unexpected there. But in the end, you know, maybe that allowed my body to be better rested and recovered when I took on the Wainwrights a couple months later. Did uh, did David Roach set you any hill repeats on your training plan before the Wainwrights after that then? <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta gotta get some uh, some good specific adaptations in uh, before <laughs> anything like the Wainwrights that have uh, quite their unique set of challenges. And that that does bring me on to onto the Wainwrights, the two hundred fourteen peaks um and you say about that about a third of the way through these long adventures is when things get real so what happens in that from that third of the way through when things are getting real what does that look like for john kelly well that's that's when you first typically uh, i think start to really both physically and mentally feel feel fatigue and uh start to you know well if someone asks me when things start to become uncomfortable or, or start to hurt a little bit, you, you know, that's, that's quite early on. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's like 10% of the way in, but, but uh, I think if, if, if you break these things into thirds, there, there's kind of the, the first third where you have the, the energy of, of the start, you're nice and, and fresh. You're not quite uh, at those low points yet. Uh, and and then the last third is where you have the finish line in sight. You have that pulling you forward and and motivating you, and and energy from that. But but the middle third is where you have the fatigue, and you don't yet have the finish line within sight. And so you have mentally this this tough spot of, um, you know, you you've got to push through this. 
But if you try to think of the big picture of, of how much you have left to do, it, it can be a, a bit overwhelming. So that's that's where you really have to start focusing on uh, the the immediate challenge in front of you and, and taking things one step at a time. And is it a bit like that looking back on it as well? Um, that kind of sense of not being able to take it quite all in because you talk also about the kind of the mental recovery from something like that and the the searching of why on earth did I just do this um I think is what you say is it is it like that on reflection like that it almost seems too big (laughs) and you have to kind of break it down again and go through that process as you did in in the planning and the and and the doing of it yeah, and and on on part of the reflection is also just getting to to look back and uh, kind of I'll say re enjoy some of the moments with a, a different perspective. There's that's where the type two fun comes in, where maybe some of the it, it wasn't fun while you were doing it, but it's it's fun looking back at it, and it's uh, fun knowing the outcome and and that's kind of again looking back at where some of these challenges come in we mentioned earlier uh like the grand round coming up a little bit short of my original goal i uh, also came up a bit short of my original goal uh, on the wainwrights for of what i was aiming for uh but like looking at the grand round it's it's kind of fun and in a way even more satisfying to know hey i got hit by named windstorm in scotland but i still finished the thing and and being able to look back at that and know the outcome is is great uh you know going into something you never want to get hit by a storm like that Mm -hmm. uh and when you're in the middle of it you're you're thinking that am i actually going to be able to finish this I, i i don't know and it's so it's it's never it's never good uh, before or during, but but afterwards, if if you do, it's it's satisfying to have had those challenges and and to overcome them. So being able to reflect on that and think of the the different uh, obstacles faced along the way and, and the different low points that you hit and and how you came out of them is is a huge part of the reward to me. There's an amazing, so you also went on to do Hard Rock 100 um, this year too. And there's there's an amazing um, <laughs> short video of you shouting when you're doing the first river crossing, I'm ahead of Killian, get a good picture. <laughs> Is that you thinking of your future self, looking back and reflecting as well? <laughs> well, that, that was at the very beginning of the race. Yeah, so that, that was it. the part where it's still just... It's it's good fun. I, I didn't realize when I shouted that the killing was in fact like right behind me. I thought he was still back on the other side of the river. Um, but no, I mean we the first I, I don't remember the eight eight to ten miles or so of that race. It's just it's relaxed. It's it's social and and so was was running with Killian and Francois and Dakota uh, for a while and, and chatting and having good fun. Uh, so that that's kind of that that point before it gets real, uh, before that first third and and at about halfway up the first big climb. That's that's when Killian and Francois started moving a, a bit faster than what I wanted to move at that point, and so I. I intentionally, I slowed down more uh, 
uh, slower than than what I wanted to go, just to force myself to separate from them and and, and let them go. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's oftentimes the the beginning of the race, having that just kind of fun, easygoing atmosphere before you physically start to uh, feel anything. And things did get tough in that race um didn't they and I think when when we first connected it was kind of it was in terms of thinking about um some of the reflections that you'd had on it and and actually the positive experiences that you'd taken away because I know that at various points you couldn't eat and and were very sick and um perhaps didn't finish where you'd anticipated to but there were so many other things that you could take away and there's there's kind of two things that I just wanted to to ask about and first was like what you got from the kind of the the sort of the community aspect of it with those helping you because you talk about um an image that is sort of a representation of a lot of what you've done people gathered around to selflessly help me through an enormous challenge while I look dazed and I'm just going through the motions to keep moving forwards um and then so there's that and then the second part is um is finishing with your kids which I just I think is the most heartwarming image that could ever emerge from a race really um and you talk about the fact that you'd rather see rather your kids see you get knocked out cold and fight back from it than see me cruise effortlessly to a higher placed finish um and I think those are two really awesome reflections. So, um, yeah, can you just just walk me through that? Yeah. So the the, the second of those two, uh, I think there's there's a big issue sometimes with uh, people seeing any sort of a big achievement and just thinking that it was. It, 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 it was easy or, or that it's something that just comes naturally to, to the person. And, uh, that's, that's how they were, they were able to achieve it. And, and sure there, there are varying degrees of, of natural, uh, ability and anything like this, but anyone that's out there, uh, achieving their goals is, is pushing themselves and, and feeling the same, sorts of things uh there's uh i can't remember the the exact quote but uh there's there's a saying i've seen about running that you know improving at running just means uh hurting the same amount at a faster pace Mm -hmm. and uh that's quite similar uh to to this sort of thing and you know like look at, at walmsley uh, at utmb this year and how much he was struggling uh in in that final section and i never want my my kids to see some of these things and have the perception of well he does those things so easily and then they try to do something hard and it's not easy and they think well that's not for me it wasn't easy uh hard hard things are hard and uh you know, so so then for them to see me face those challenges and to see me continue on through them, uh, and and reach the the end, even if it wasn't my original goal, is 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 quite valuable. And Hard Rock was again one of those outcomes where it's not what I had originally envisioned, but uh, given that I'd spent four hours at at an aid station with a pretty bad altitude sickness, uh, the the outcome was 
was one to, to be very proud of. Um, the, the first part that you mentioned is, is very much, uh, reflective of my experience of, of a lot of my challenges in, in the UK. Uh, before I came to the UK, I much more did unsupported, uh, efforts, uh, unsupported FKTs where I was kind of out there on my own. Uh, and it was very much a, a cultural shift in, in the UK to take on some of the rounds and some of the other efforts here in a, in a supported fashion. And uh, it, it's it's a community effort. It, it truly is. It's it's a team sport, uh, basically. And so so many of my efforts uh, just it seems like I'm kind of a, a zombie staggering forward while while everyone is around me trying to keep me fed and keep me pointed in the right direction and uh moving along so uh that's just it's been absolutely amazing to have that type of support uh that has enabled me to do so many of the things that i've I've done over the past few years I think um I mean watching the the film the of the um of both hard rock um but the grand round specifically where you you're you're sort of coming down that final descent and I mean it, <laughs> watching it you you you're almost gasping for breath because you're clearly in so much pain um and there are people supporting you coming down and it does feel like there is just this kind of singular energy that is obviously you driving it, but then also the kind of the the belief of your supporters as well that you can can do it, and it's it's really really powerful. Um, and likewise at, at Hard Rock, um, with the the support both of the people at the the aid stations dressed in Christmas outfits at one point. <laughs> And then, and then your the energy of your team. Um, it, it's really, really quite inspiring. Um, and that's yeah, just and sorry, that, that last leg of the grand round. I, I had an an all star cast of support out there with me. It, it included Finley Wild uh, on oh, the last leg. Who, <laughs> he's run the entire Ramsey round uh, faster than we did that last leg, and he he probably could have gone up and down Ben Nevis four or five times and the amount of time it took me just to get down uh there at the end so uh yeah that that was just that, there's no way I, I could have finished that without that in in terms of actually getting there and in terms of feeling safe even attempting it uh to begin with and in the condition that i was in and the conditions that that the weather uh was at the time and on the on the Wainwrights, did you have Sabrina Verge? Um, was it on the last leg that you had her support? Yeah, she, she, she was out support, there uh, a couple of times, including the last leg, and and she was uh, prodding me along uh, <laughs> quite quite strongly. And that's that's one reason I, I wanted her uh, on on the last leg. I had uh, her there. I had Nikki Sphinx on the last couple of legs as well. People that I, I knew wouldn't put up with my whining or, or any of my crap and <laughs> uh, just keep, keep pushing me to, to go on. Um, and I just wanted to, wanted to finish with one last, um, one last quote and then just a couple of, um, of silly quick fire questions. Um, you write after, after that Barclays success, I'll have the accomplishment and the memory of the race with me for the rest of my life. 
And when I do come back, that extracted portion of my soul will be stronger for it. Um, how does that relate to how you see challenges? Well, any time, this goes back to, uh, I guess, earlier on when, when we were mentioning the, the reflection and, and the recovery bit, any of these things afterwards, you, you really feel like a part of you is, is gone. Um, and it, it takes a while to, to regain that, to regain that, that energy, uh, both, both the physical and, and the mental recovery. But once it does come back, uh, it's, it's all the stronger for it. I, I mean, it's, uh, the, the classic example of, of training adaptation, just taken to its extreme, uh, that, that it's, it's how we improve by constantly, uh, pushing ourselves just slightly past our breaking point and, and then letting our bodies and our minds, uh, rebuild stronger. Thank you. And now for the quick fire questions. So, um, which character in Lord of the Rings would you be and why? Oh, that is a, uh, it's a, that's a, a tough, tough one. Of actually, you know, you would think that it's 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 a matter of which one would I be versus which one would you would you want to be, and you know, you you kind of I would imagine myself wanting to be to be Gandalf, um, yeah. but I, I don't know uh, how how realistic that that is to, to be able to say that as far as matching my own personality uh, and my own uh, actual strengths and, and weaknesses. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, this, I'm having a complete uh, mental lapse here. I, I know the Lord of the Rings quite well. I've, I've read all the books, but I can't remember the name of the dwarf. Gimli, um, Gimli the dwarf. Yes, yes. Um, I, I think that as far as uh, personality goes and uh, kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses there, uh, kind of brashly <laughs> rushing into things and, and having a fixation on uh that things like you know oh, Helm Steep's fine. It's uh, <laughs> no problem. Uh, I, I think that's that's probably where I would land. <laughs> I didn't know that that was going to be the question that floored you. Actually, <laughs> Gimli the Dwarf. Um, what's your favorite video game? Uh, Zelda, without a doubt. I. Um, I actually ran the Boston Marathon a couple of weeks after one of my Barclay attempts dressed as Link. Oh, I've seen uh, some the, pictures. The of main, that. <laughs> main character uh, from Zelda. Uh, so uh, having gotten to play the, the most recent games uh, with kids, I, I don't think I've really actually played a game since the twins were born, really, <laughs> about, about six years ago. Uh, so may, maybe one day I'll, I'll get back to that. But I was, I was always a big uh, Zelda fan. Back to their their first the first one, and and also uh, Warcraft. You know, going back to the the original kind of real time strategy games, uh, and and some uh, time spent World of Warcraft as well. Uh, again, be, before kids. 
Do you think that's fed into your into your approach of tactics for ultramarathons as well, your Warcraft as well as machine learning experience? Or... Yeah, I don't know. I think that, that those share the aspect of ex- exploration. I mean, that's those are kind of the games where you can take your own approach and, and your own uh, set your own goals in it. And, and so the exploration bit was was always a part of that that I really enjoyed and, and pursued. American or British snacks? There, there are big trade-offs on, on both of those. Uh, you know, there, there are some very high-quality uh, uh, British snacks. There's uh, jelly babies. We have nothing like that here. Uh, squash is something I, I definitely miss. Uh, chocolate, I, I would say that the UK has higher-quality chocolate, but the US has much wider variety. Uh, and the thing that that we really went out with in the U.S. is, is snack cakes. There, there's just I, I don't know why there's no snack cake market in in, in the U.K. There's there's the Cadbury uh, the rolls oh, the, yeah, the little, yeah. um, but you know there are entire companies in in the U.S. So Little Debbie, uh, Hostess, Tasty Cake that that are devoted to making these little miniature cakes um, of, of various. <laughs> Uh, forms and those those are huge uh ultra running fuel oh that sounds amazing i think you have to bring a few cases over to the uk next time you're here and then set up set up shop <laughs> um and five well two questions what's next for you uh so i'm i'm giving myself a little bit of a recovery window at the moment uh going to do a build into a a marathon actually towards the end of the year, which isn't something that I've um, done as its own dedicated build for probably, I guess, like eight eight years now. Mm-hmm. So want to give that uh, a good crack uh, before I get too old to run something fast like like mm-hmm. a marathon. <laughs> um, the terrifying so, things, marathons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, they're, they're they're painful. I, I know. I will. I will. Uh, struggle a bit with the whole walking thing probably for a couple of days after that uh, <laughs> the, the combination of distance plus intensity plus uh asphalt uh it, it really does a number on the legs uh but then otherwise i'll, I'll take that uh rebuilt speed hopefully going into to next year and uh get, go back to to barclay and we'll see what else i get into as as far as lottery outcomes uh go for next summer well fingers crossed we'll be dot watching you next year and my final question which um, might be more difficult than the lord of the rings one but what does joy mean to you that's a that's a, a a big kind of philosophical existential question there it's i i think that it's being able to appreciate where where you are and and where you're going uh and and have excitement uh towards where you're going whether it's it's goals or or other things uh going on in life it's it's having the uh larger pool uh to to be where you are and where you're going than kind of where you've been and so that's 
that's been a tough one for me with some of the things I've done of, of doing some things, uh, well, at least in my running life of, of doing things like Barkley and then thinking, well, where, where do I go from here? Where do I, what, what can I have that will continue uh, to have me looking up and, and looking forward? And so being able to, to kind of strike that balance between uh, appreciating where I've been, but um, being excited uh, about where I'm going. I think is is the biggest biggest piece there. Thank you, John. Thank you. That's that's a great way to end. And if people want to um, follow you, then where's the best place to do that? Uh, so I have my blog at, at randomforestrunner.com, uh, and then I I have social media handles that are essentially the same uh random forest runner my my twitter handle is a bit different because of character limits but <laughs> uh, if they, they head to my blog i think all my social media links are uh, included there on on the front page brilliant well um i'll give you a formal podcast goodbye um and thanks and then sign off in, informally in a second but thank you so much that's been quite a journey and as I said at the beginning, I didn't kind of want to define you so much by by numbers on a page because you're so much more than that. And thank you for your for your time today. As with everything, I know that you give a lot of gratitude to people that support you. Um, and you are have been so generous with your time and so insightful um, and witty and and reflective. So it's been really great to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad to be able to do it. <laughs> Bye, John. Speak soon. Bye. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.